Welcome to the Bliss Tonic Podcast, where we get real about the ups and downs of the human experience, and we use yogic philosophy and self-study as our Bliss Tonic. I'm Michelle Anthony, yoga teacher, spiritual mentor, meditation advocate, and dancer, circus performer. Flow is flow is flow is flow. Let's dive into this week's episode. To the Bliss Tonic Podcast. Let's center in for a moment before we um, dive into the content for this week. So take a moment to align your posture, perhaps close your eyes. And take a couple deep breaths, feeling a sense of grounding, connecting to the earth beneath you. Feel the space your body takes up, maybe the surface of your skin, the shape of your body. And then connect to a beam of energy or light entering through the crown of your head, down into your body. Perhaps it has a white color. We'll take three breaths and pause briefly at the top of the inhale. Hold. Let it out. Two more breaths like that. Hold. Let it out. Last one. Let it out. (sighs) Welcome and welcome to this inner space and space of consuming information. And so I'd love for you to just acknowledge that this is the energy that you're engaging with, that you're in a space of consuming information. And I say that to distinguish... um, Because I feel like a lot of times we um, don't really consider watching something or even listening to podcasts as a part of that um, energy of consuming, especially if it's in regards to maybe something spiritual or, you know, something that helps us live better. Um, And I say that because... um, yeah, I've been feeling lately like a, a, a need um, or receiving this message when I'm in the middle of consuming some sort of spiritual information or receiving some guidance um, from another teacher that, you know, okay, now is the time to stop, even though it's like spiritual information and spiritual content, um, that there's a beginning and an end in this um 
culture of endless scrolling and constant um, connection and engagement, it's nice to just have that acknowledgement that even though it's in the spiritual realm, it is consuming energy, consuming information that has to then be digested, eliminated, or integrated. So today I'm getting real with you about how I'm feeling about the yoga community. And if you saw the title of this episode about yogic disenchantment, um, what I'm specifically referring to is this idea that we have perpetuated and created as the colonizers, specifically in the West I'm talking about, but the whole Western modern new age world that talks about yoga in the context of a yoga class, a class that you go to that you expect to receive um, some physical movement of some kind. And I want to touch on a couple pieces of this that perhaps feeds to this feeling of disenchantment. And, and one is something I talk about all the time, which is appropriation, right? So the ways that we appropriate the word yoga to mean physical workout, even if it is paired with breath and paired with awareness, and you say namaste at the end, it doesn't make it a yoga class necessarily. Um, so I think the question to ask ourselves is when is a practice not yoga? When is a practice not yoga? And in order to start asking ourselves these questions, we have to engage with what is the purpose of yoga? And that purpose of yoga is leading us to essentially a state of unity consciousness. Yoga can be translated to mean unity, right? And we, in the study of tantra, tantra yoga, we learned that duality is the place where we have our human existence, we have our human body, we have the um, human morality of good, bad, right, and wrong. And unity, consciousness, and the sacred in general is not separate from the duality. Rather, that sacredness and, and non-duality pervades all of duality. And it's not separate from it. So I think that's important to say because just because a yoga class is physical doesn't mean it's not yoga, right? And I think that's really important to say um, in this, in this <laughs> I don't know if you would call it a rant that I'm going on right now, that just because it's physical doesn't mean it's not yoga, right? But is it bringing your mind into a state of balance? Do you feel more balanced? And I think this is um, really something to contemplate for yourself, right? When you go to perhaps like a hot yoga class where you're getting a really intense workout and there's maybe an emphasis on that, what do you feel afterwards? Are you feeling really drained? Are you feeling depleted of your energy? Are you feeling agitated? Perhaps even are you feeling high? Like that is, a, there's that post-yoga high. But the question is, is it leading you to a place of balance? 
because it's through that space of being feeling balanced that leads us to the neutrality which is exists in the experience of un, unified consciousness unity so when is it appropriation right specifically when i'm talking about you know physical practices like if something perhaps incorporates non what we consider like yoga asana is not necessarily yoga asana in the traditional way that uh, we learn about asana if we study the sacred text asana is our seat for meditation in the yoga sutras there's only three uh, passages three uh, lines that speak about uh, asana and it's all in regards to a comfortable meditation And so where this comes into play, right, is that we can't always find peace. We can't find balance. We can't find ease in our meditation and in our meditation seat until we move some energy in the body, right? So this is where our yoga asana as we know it today comes into play. So it helps to prepare our physical body for that state of meditation, for a state of receiving an experiential understanding of unity, right? That's where we're headed. Not just knowing that we're all one, but experiencing it. And that's so much what I love about Tantra and, you know, having this connection to the lineage of this Himalayan tradition is that it's all about experience, and not just necessarily studying the scripture, not just necessarily what you know, but the experiences that take us to that knowing, that true, deep inner knowing. So when is it appropriation and when is it not? If it's not leading us to balance, if it's not leading us to that inner state, right? And I, I see so many fitness classes and so many trademarked variations and versions of yoga. It just is how it is right now. I say, you know, like, where we're at right now with America is very, like, we're just corporations, corporations, trademark, this is mine, this is yours. And I get it, hey? Like, I have a business, I understand but I think when we get into appropriation, this talk specifically in the context of yoga, but other traditions as well, is are we also paying homage to where this wisdom has come from? And if in our practice we're so separated from where yoga has started, and it's not to say that you know, the practice of yoga can't evolve with our evolving needs, not seeing that at all. But are we also honoring its roots, where it, where it has come from? And when appropriation is, talk is in play, we also have to honor this power dynamic of where did yoga come from? How are they now specifically, right, this comes from India, and we have brown people who this is their practice. And if they walk into a 
Western yoga class, chances are that it is primarily white women who have perhaps no connection to the roots of yoga. And so there's that disconnect that creates massive amounts of suffering for the people whose culture has been stolen and sterilized. I didn't expect to go this much into appropriation. Um, But, you know, I think it's important, and it is a huge piece of my disenchantment with the yogic community. And I'm going to get more into the other areas um, in a minute. But I think this, this just, it's really important to me because it's something that I've 100% have um, engaged with, appropriating yoga 100%. Am I learning? Am I trying to do better? Absolutely. Um, but I think when it becomes sterilized and we associate what yoga is with a physical movement class, that's where my disenchantment comes in. And that's where we get much of the appropriation, right? What are we taking away from yoga when we walk into a quote unquote yoga class and we're expecting to get a workout or a stretch, whatever it, whatever we associate, right, with our yoga practice is what are we expecting? Like, honestly, if I go to a yoga class, I know that I'm probably either going to get like stretched out or um, get a workout in. And perhaps also meditation and other elements as well. Um, But most likely not really. Um, And so what I want to say is that just because that's a thing doesn't mean it's bad. Just because that we have a physical um, piece of yoga um, that is serving us right? We sit so much in our society that can you imagine not doing any physical movement and trying to sit and meditate? Much more difficult from experience, much more difficult. Um, And there's a lot more like pains and aches that take our mind away from the task at hand, whatever tool we're using for meditation or whatever state of consciousness we're trying to access. So it's not wrong. It's just the first step, right? What do we do for prepping for meditation? We'll start perhaps with cleansing practices, preparing the body um, for this state. So, yeah, I'm going to just like leave the talk on appropriation. There's so much more than that. And again, the sterilization is only one side because there's the other side of glamorization. And I 100% have been involved in that as well. So I'm going to shift over to what I am talking about when I'm feeling disenchanted with yogic practices um, that I see surrounding me in the yoga community. And it's not that I'm necessarily in judgment of that because I know it's really needed. Um, But it's not where I want to put my energies and it's just what I see everywhere. It's what I see everywhere. And what I don't see is this connection of spiritual practices to yoga because we consider them, 
either like new age, we consider them like, ooh, it's the woo, we can't really get into the woo, or um, we start to consider um, this talk about spirits and God and entities, and we immediately hold it in contrast to religious affiliation, um, and there's a lot of disconnect in regards to um I know especially in Christianity, we have a lot of, you know, like if it's different than Christianity, it's wrong, right? And so this is where we get into some of um, the difficulties where we have to interface with a lot of questions that only we can answer for ourselves. But here's what I'm into. I'm into the weird shit, okay? Um, and what I mean by that, and and. I actually love doing physical practice, right? And I'm, I feel like I'm pretty good at teaching it too, right? Perhaps more refined physical practice than like a flow or um, whatever. But I, I mean, I can teach a workout class for sure. Um, and I feel like it's a great class. But do I love it? Is it my favorite thing? No. And it's always been the spiritual um, aspects of yoga that have called me so intensely. And in effort to, to ground myself, it often has come with doubt, which is I'm going to do a whole other podcast on or um, a lecture on in the uh, private Facebook group for the Bliss Tonic Seekers. There's information for that in the link in bio um, where you can get extra information on some of these spiritual teachings that I uh, have been contemplating lately. Um, so I'm into the weird shit. Did you know that in um, ancient texts and spiritual teachers, even now, like the head of the Himalayan tradition right now, Pandiji, he shares in his uh, book, Touched by Fire, an experience he has um, where he received a mantra for healing. And he said specifically his experience with it was he had expected to feel something. He expected some like grand um, energetic experience to happen and he didn't. Um, and he didn't even use it until two years later. And so in this book, he describes his experience of um, witnessing a pilgrim being possessed by an entity and how this pilgrim um, was acting and has bloodshot eyes and was being raised up off the ground and tossed around and uh, just beat up by this entity and speaking in a language that nobody understood. Um, so very much like what we see in the movies, right, which I cannot watch any of the Exorcist movies at all. Um, but anyways, and would we not consider like spirits and ghosts and possession, all of that stuff, more in connection to the new age. However, here we are talking about it from this yogi and using specifically, he used this healing mantra to rid this person of the entity. Um, but he was instructed to not use it for personal gain and not show off. Um, 
And he started to attract a crowd because he had doubt that it was actually him that did that or if this person was perhaps faking. So we kind of went back and forth of using the mantra to put the entity back and then take it back. Um, And then people started to notice and like hold him up on their shoulders and like, now we know to go to you. And basically like it just went to his head until he describes in his words, he um, shared the mantra out loud in a um, dramatic fashion, holding one arm into the air um, as if he's an experienced healer. Um, and later he went back and told his teacher um, about his experience using the mantra that his teacher had given him. Um, and the teacher had reminded him then that he was told to not show off and not use it for gain and that the mantra is now lost. Um, so even if he were to share it with somebody else, that the mantra would no longer work. So that's just one example of the quote unquote weird shit um, that I love. And what I love is, you know, being a part of a lineage where, you know, I feel really grateful to have have honestly grazed the surface of this um, very specific, intricate, and broad um, tradition of Sri Vidya. And um, yeah, one more piece that I love to bring up And it's something, again, that we consider very new age, right? And don't get me wrong. I love um, connecting to celestial beings. We can call them aliens, extraterrestrials, whatever. Um, But this is not new age at all. This is not new age at all. Many of these things are described in tantric texts. It actually, in, in, in tantra, they which in case you don't know, covers a broad range of um, explorations of the world. And in it, they explain seven different kind of beings, both physical and non-physical, including ghosts. Um, And in Paramahansa Yogananda's book, Autobiography of a Yogi, um, it's like, you know, it kind of builds, and there's definitely moments in the book where it gets... I don't know. We like can take a pause, right? And then you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to read this book again um, or pick it back up. Um, But in the end of the book, like it gets really wild. Um, He talks about sitting in meditation and receiving messages from aliens, basically, and from, you know, all of these non-physical beings. And so what we consider as new age is absolutely not new. And here's what I want to bring to the surface, what makes, what's the difference between new age and these ancient teachings, explorations, practices, right? One, who has access to it? So, right, when we're talking about ancient teachings, we're bringing in the culture that those teachings were founded in, which honestly (laughs) is very men-dominated, specifically in spiritual and religious practices, right? 
So when we're learning about the context of these spiritual um, practices, oftentimes it was passed along orally from man to man, from these Brahmins. So who has access to similar or the same or... Um, I don't want to say it's the same information, but it could be the same information, but from a different perspective or from a different cultural background. Like, who has access to new age information, especially in the time of Google and the internet? And like, what? Everyone. And so that's one really interesting thing that I actually love about what we consider called a new age is that it's actually open to everyone. Perhaps what we lose is a connection to that lineage and the direct connection to spiritual teachers who can perhaps give us information that is just not available mainstream, not available on Google, not available um, even in books. And so that's something to consider when we're comparing new age and ancient cultures. And even when we're like adding that topic of appropriation in there, right, is what are we, how can we appreciate where these understandings or practices have come from and also not glamorize the fact that like women were excluded from much of this spiritual work and how can we um, start to come to our own conclusions and own understandings Um, and perhaps we don't have access to a teacher um, who can guide us right so I think that this is an important thing to talk about is how can we appreciate its roots, whatever it is, and maybe we don't know and we're just in this place of seeking to understand better. And I think being open to seeking more answers is the foundation for this spiritual work, especially in this time when so much is being revealed. It's coming to the surface the intense suffering of oppression that so many people of color have endured and having to have their own cultures and own spirituality sold back to them piecemeal. So I think that's an important thing to notice. And one thing, one other thing with new age is that I think sometimes it can be ungrounded, right? Because a lot of um, these new age practices, understandings, they're not grounded in a lineage. And so it's something that I have also felt disenchanted from in the past. And honestly, I'm just like getting back on that weirdo train um, lately after several years of hopping off it and being like, no, I'm all about being grounded and like tangible and like, okay, cool. I don't know. You know, like oh, I was a mermaid in a past life. Like, okay, but like, how does that help me, right? And what does it mean? Like, is why why are we feeding spiritual um, information that has no use, right? And that was like my main question over the past, I don't know how many years. Um, and so I'm, I'm not like telling people they're mermaids. <laughs> or like, why do, yeah, anyways. <laughs> that's something, uh, that's a whole nother topic. Okay. 
Yes, we, we are disconnected. It's called like woo and like where is it even coming from, right? And then we have this like ancient technologies that can also be glamorized that also left certain people out. Um, and so I think it just takes a really um, a, a zoomed out perspective and also for us to just get more curious, right? So all of this to say... Shit's about to get even more weird up in here. <laughs> if you don't already know, I've been diving into Akashic records and reading them for myself and for other people. And I opened my own records before uh, pressing play on this podcast. And um, it's been great. It's been wild. It feels like something I've always done. Um and for those of you who don't know, um, Akash is actually a Sanskrit word, um, and, and it can roughly translate to ether. It also is all that is, all that is. And we, when we start to dive into the Akashic records, we're essentially opening ourselves up to channel information from this vibration from this dimension it's not a physical location but it's space it's an energy that we can tap into and receive information about our current life you know questions we have about how we can be more aligned or um, the direction that we're headed we can receive information about past lives. We can receive information about potentialities, taking into consideration that we all have free will, which means that our choices and actions and decisions and that those potentials are always changing. So here we go. <laughs> this was something that was a really huge um, goal for me for 2021 was to access the state of channeling without using my oracle cards, the very oracle cards I've been using for a decade. And I've been feeling ready to not move beyond them, but not depend on them. Um, yeah, and this has been mind-blowing, to say the least, the kind of information that's come through, the kind of messages that come through, and the vibrational frequency of even my words and um, and the different entities that come through. Like, it's just wild. It's been a wild ride, and I'm here for it. Um, I'm still offering a couple of uh, Akashic record readings. You can find the link to get access um, and book your session in the show notes. But oh, let's take a breath. And I want you to consider your relationship to spirituality. And your association of spirituality to yoga. Perhaps you already know if you're here that the purpose of yoga is to lead us to the space of spiritual connection. 
can you feel that our physical practices and movement prepare us energetically for more subtle experiences and states of mind? Can you feel that calling you? Take a deep breath. What you seek is seeking you. And I want you to feel that for a moment. That your purpose and your desires is inherently spiritual. And desires are part of the human experience. Even if we just desire our next breath, we desire not to die. It's built into us as humans to desire. And because the sacred pervades all of duality, our desires are also sacred. I want to send a huge Thank you to Kyle Piper for editing this podcast and putting in the intro and outro and all of the work you do to make this come together so beautifully. Again, if you're interested in um, getting an Akashic Record reading, there's a link in the show notes, as well as if you're interested in supporting the production of this podcast, paying for the space where we record and this beautiful recording studio at Ivy, as well as for the editing process, you can join the Bliss Tonic Patreon for $5 a month. Otherwise, you can make a one-time contribution. There's a link in the show notes to do that as well. If you're interested in joining and learning more of these spiritual teachings from me, there is a new Bliss Tonic Seekers Facebook group also in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in to me and to yourself. Have a lovely rest of your day.